Good morning, church. Wonderful to be with you. Hope your preparations for Christmas are going well as you get ready for that. That means watching 10 Hallmark movies or enduring 10,000 Hallmark movie commercials. Whatever your preparation is, I especially feel for all of you as you are preparing in a different way, exams and all that. I, I know um, I describe myself and my preparation for exams. I'm the difference between me and my wife, she was a crock pot, and so she's cooking all the way through the semester. I was microwave popcorn. So you don't hear a whole lot, and then there's a lot of activity there towards the end. So I feel for you if that's what you're doing as you prepare. But we're talking here in these days not just about preparing for trimming trees and gifts and exams and all that. We, we are in this rhythm that the church for centuries has talked about, Advent, just the word in the Bible for coming or arrival of God in the world. It's been in every text. It will be again today uh, in the text we look at. We're just saying, what does it look like to prepare our hearts for the God who shows up? And so, yes, of course, that is about God showing up as a child in the incarnation, but it is also preparing our hearts for the God who's coming back in the second coming, the second advent, where he's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back visibly as the reigning king that he is. And we're also asking this question, what does it look like to be ready for the God who shows up day in and day out in our lives? And so we're using this simple symbol here when we think about the incarnation of Jesus coming into the world as the light of God coming into the world. That's represented by the white candle that will be lit in a couple of weeks. We think about God slowly bringing that light more and more out of the darkness of our lives. So we will light candles each week in the four weeks leading up to it. It's just a simple symbol to say we want the life of God to surround us and the light of God to come in our lives. And here's a simple way to think about it as I'm lighting these candles. Uh, uh, purple is the color of royalty, so we think of that, royalty and, and preparation for Jesus coming as the king. Um, there's a pink candle in there to say, you know, some of the stuff has been heavy. We're turning a little bit to lean even more into joy and hope of the coming. And so that's why that'll be lit this week and one more next week before we light that one. But as I'm lighting these, I encourage you to think about where are the darkness, the dark places in your heart or your world that you want to see God come and show up in. So as I'm lighting these, just make it a prayer. God, where do you increasingly, uh, where, I, where, where I need you to bring light in my life or the people that I care about? So be, be think about them praying for that. I'm going to give you a moment of silence to pray into that, and then I will pray a prayer as we get started. When we do this at home, by the way, our kids for years would fight over who got to blow the candles out. I give permission to any child when this is over, if you want to beat Lori to the punch and come blow the candle out very peacefully and don't fight over it. Her face was squirming as I said that. Very gently and peacefully. Don't stick your fingers in it. With your parents' permission, somebody can come and blow out a candle. Did I get all that right, Lori? She's cringing about to throw up in her seat. So. God's protected our kids for years. I suspect he'll protect ours here. Don't burn the candles down or I'll get in trouble. Let's take a moment of silence. God, and we want to give you those places in our hearts and our lives where we need your light more. We need your presence more. Please show up there.
Again, by praying words that are prayed on this day all around the world in a bunch of different languages. Pray with me. Father, stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might, come among us. And because we are deeply hindered by our sins and our brokenness, let your bountiful grace and mercy quickly help and deliver us. We pray this through Christ our Lord, who together with you and the Holy Spirit reign as one God now and forever. Amen. The passages we're looking at to prepare our hearts in this Advent season, this coming and showing up of God season, are all coming from the book of Matthew. And we said uh, either themes or characters of Advent, uh, characters or themes of preparation. And so Tyler began a few weeks ago looking at the second Advent, the second coming that was foreshadowed in the destruction of Jerusalem and the replacing of that temple with the temple of the body of Christ. And then there's going to come that second Advent coming. And then last week we saw a character of Advent. His name is John and we heard his preaching. We're going to see John again today more towards the end of his life. And instead of him preaching out in the wilderness, you're going to hear his question coming from prison. So if you have your books, or your Bibles, or your devices, look in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read 2 through 11. We'll really focus on the first part of that, but we'll give you the context of this. This is the gospel of our Lord, Matthew chapter 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah... He sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The course of the last several months, really, I've had a couple of different friends who are going through the stages of their marriage where they're going to bring some children into the world. Some of them their first child, others are their last children. And I've had several opportunities in recent weeks to hear conversations of people's different sonogram stories. (laughs) And they're talking about that moment where they go and they hear the heartbeat for the first time and they see those early pictures of the child. And depending on whether it's HD or not, how much you can even see... I remember when we went through that, let's be honest, the only folks that get really excited about the sonogram pictures are the parents and the close relatives. The rest of folks tend to endure them. I mean, let's be honest, this is not Cancun pictures, right? A little different. Harder to see some of these things sometimes. I still remember when we went there for our last child and Luke, and and never forget, the nurse couldn't find him for a while. She's like, he's going all over the place. I said, well, that's our our children. (laughs) 
They're always either dodging or dancing, even from the womb. And I think about that moment, and I'm reminded of the story of the Advent character we're looking at today, because we know John is the fiery preacher that we heard in the text last week, or this one wrestling in the dungeon. But did you know John's story actually starts with a sonogram moment? Get it in Luke chapter 1, where John is about six months along in his mother Elizabeth's womb, and Mary, a few months later than that, comes into the same room, and it says, and I quote, John leaped for joy in his mother's womb. I love the way that word is described. Literally, it means he skipped in gladness <laughs> in the womb. It's a, it's a word that describes kind of the deer, animals that are out playfully moving and dancing around in the fields. In other words, from the first moment that John the Baptist comes into the presence of Jesus, he is dancing with joy when Jesus is in the room. From before his birth, we see very clearly what the mission of John's life is going to be. John is dedicated from the beginning to point the way to Jesus, to alert people to the presence and the way of Jesus. And nothing will deter John from his mission. And he had lots of opportunities to get thrown off. Think about this. He could have been distracted by praise. A lot of leaders are. Because people came to him all the time. Even after he died, people would come up and say, is John the Christ? Is he the Messiah? John, are you the promised king of God that's coming to set the world right? Could have been distracted by the praise of people, but he's not. Last week's text, we saw this. He said, I can't even tie his shoes. Not distracted by praise. Could have been distracted by competition. We see that in leaders a lot today. John had disciples, as we said last week, on three different continents within a generation of his death. He had all sorts of people following him. And he could, like other leaders do, hold on with a death grip to the people that followed him. But when some of his disciples heard about and saw Jesus, they started leaving John's group to go follow Jesus. What did John do? Hold on to them? No. He said, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, go to him. He must become greater. I must become less. Or when I think about this passage, I think about how easy it would have been for John to get distracted in his mission by power. Because, as maybe some of you know, the reason he ends up in prison is because he was willing to do the, as the old line says, speak truth to power thing. And he had the guts to go stand up against the king of the Jews, the king of that region, an evil, wicked, self-centered man named Herod. And he had the strength to go up to this guy and say, look, the king of the Jews was always supposed to be someone that mirrored the larger rule of the king of all the Jews and all the world, which is God. From the very beginning, the rule of the Jewish king that was human was supposed to uh, kind of give the world a picture of the reign of the king of the universe. And Herod was doing anything but that. And John stood up to him and spoke truth to power. That is not easy to do, by the way. Think of the strength of conviction that it took for John to do this. I remember hearing the story Chuck Colson tells about his early years and work 
A lot of people know Chuck Colson better from his work in ministry and writing books and all of that, but he started working for the President of the United States. And he told the stories about how often people would come in with bravado and with a picture and a plan to go in to the Oval Office and tell the President just what they thought. And I love the line that he said one time. He said, time and time again, I watched the lions of the waiting room become the lambs of the Oval Office. <laughs> Whether it's the room or the position or the history or whatever, they would melt. They would step into the place of power. But not John. He stood up and with fiery words, just like we heard him last week, he tells the truth to power and he ends up in a jail cell. And when you think about all of this strength of the character of John the Baptist, in fact, Jesus himself calls him the greatest preparer for the kingdom that has ever lived. Everybody that has lived up before this particular moment, there is no one greater than John. Now he says the least that is experiencing the kingdom of God that's in on what John is pointing towards has it better than he does. But John is powerful and he is strong. And I keep that in mind when we move from that to the picture of John in this story. Isn't it abrupt when we hear what John says and see what he does? Because all of a sudden, John's in a different place. Why? Because in the dungeon of Herod's prison, something happens there. In the dungeon, something changes from this guy who's not deterred in any way, not thrown off in any way, but in these dungeon moments, all of a sudden, he begins to struggle with a crisis of faith, a little bit of doubt, asking hard questions. And those dungeon moments of life for John and for us can become pretty difficult. In fact, in verse 3, here in Herod's dungeon, we see him ask the classic Advent question. Here's the question of this whole season. Did you catch it? Verse 3. It has the word Advent in there when it's translated. He says to his disciples, go ask Jesus this. Are you the one who is to Advent? Are, are you the one who is to come? Are you the one that God promised to come and reign and set the world right as God's rightful king? Are you the one who's supposed to come or should we be looking for somebody else? By the way, that is the question of life, I would argue. When we gather here on Sunday mornings, it's a good thing every now and then to let ourselves ask the question again. Is this Jesus thing real? Is this Christmas thing we're leading up to a celebration of something real? Is he really the coming one of God that we align our entire lives around? Or should we just spend our energies and our time and our efforts and, yes, our money on something else? It's the Advent question. And if you've ever been in a dungeon moment, you might struggle with it just like John did. By the way, it may seem really strange. This guy is not deterred by anything. All of a sudden is asking this question. Before I die and go, Jesus, let me just make real clear. Are you, are you the guy I've been talking about and pointing people to and shoving them to? Before you pick on him too much, think about this for a moment. Why would John struggle now? Text mentions a couple of things. First of all, he's in prison. He's in the dungeon, but he asked the question, why is that a big deal? Because we just heard him preach last week. Do you remember his image? Here's his image. He said, when the king of God, the rightful king of God comes, he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. 
Now, we said if you're in Christ, you don't have to think about it as you're going to hell. The redemptive fire of the Spirit of God is going to come, and it'll weed out anything that is inconsistent with the reign of God and hold on to what is consistent and right. So for you individually, you can feel comfort in that. But for the people as a whole, there's going to be a separation. And those that don't align with Jesus, they're going to miss out on the coming of God they've been longing for for generations. And those who do get it are going to be gathered up and protected. Now, when you hear that message, what do you think John's thinking about him and Herod? He's sitting in the judge's cell, and who feels like chaff right now? John does. It's a legitimate question to say, look, Jesus, I set you up. We got the whole fire thing coming. We got wheat and chaff. The problem is I'm feeling like chaff, and Herod's power's growing. It's a legitimate question. Have you ever had dungeon moments or seasons in your life? When all the expectations and the ways you had God figured out and life figured out, all of a sudden hits you in such a way it knocks you off balance. And you start asking these deep, hard questions. Have you had those seasons before? I want to say if you have, recognize so did John. It's okay to bring those questions into the mix. In fact, I think it's important for us to recognize every now and then, can we take note of the fact that on any given Sunday, this room is full of people with dungeon doubts. And that's okay. There are moments for dancing and partying in the womb, but there are moments where we're struggling with doubt. Here's a way to think about this. I, I know we have a hard time with this because I've looked at the interpretations of this text throughout history. And did you know there's a lot of people that have a hard time with John doubting? In fact, some of the greatest thinkers in Christian history, Augustine, John Calvin, and other people, they actually said this about this moment. John isn't really doubting. He's pretending to doubt for the sake of his disciples. Really? I think not. I think he's really wrestling with this. And part of what we need to recognize before we even get to anything that Jesus does, can we take note of this deep truth of this passage? Listen. The one who danced for Jesus in the womb doubts him in the dungeon. The one who danced for Jesus and his hope in the womb moment of his life actually doubted and struggled and questioned in the dungeon moments of his life. The one who stood up to the threats of kings and the praise of the crowds actually struggled with the methods of the Messiah. Because that's the other thing. It's not just the dungeon. It says when he heard what the Messiah was doing... He asked the question, and if you ever find yourself struggling with the circumstances of life or the way God works, you are in good company because the one preparing us for the coming of Jesus had the same struggle. It's okay to have that battle. In fact, I think part of what this season can be about is can we one more time just make space for those who find themselves in dungeon doubts and struggles. You are welcome here, and there is room for you here, just like there was for John the Baptist. And yes, Jesus does respond, but as we watch in the story, he may not quite respond the way we want him to, because Jesus gives an answer here to John's great Advent question. But notice that he answers in ambiguity. Did you catch that? He answers indirectly, ambiguously. He does not answer him with words. He answers him with action. 
Everything in John, and probably in us in these dungeon moments, wants a very straight, clear, verbal answer from God. Are you the one? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus said, you better believe I am, John. I am. I'm the guy. Keep plowing forward. It's all good. That's not what he does. In fact, Jesus says initially nothing. He does activity. Uh, The text says in this moment, what he does is he heals the lame. He heals the blind. He heals diseased people. He sets people free from possession. He does all of these things. In fact, Luke makes it very clear, if you look at his telling of this story, uh, that that he doesn't rush just to this this quick listen to what he see or hear. Jesus actually does the healing right then. In Luke 7, 21, it says, John's disciples asked the question, are you the one to come? And it says, immediately, at that moment, Jesus healed the lame and the blind and crippled, all those kind of things. Then he said, now go tell John what you saw and heard. By the way, one more moment. Can we sit with John in the dungeon and ask for a moment how John might receive that? John's sitting in the jail cell, wondering why the fire of the coming Messiah isn't taking care of Herod and setting him free. Jesus says, go back and tell him, lame are walking, the blind are seeing, and demons are getting cast out. What do you think John might ask? What about me? In fact, I think it's absolutely likely that John either heard or certainly heard about Jesus's opening sermon. You remember this? Luke 4, Jesus's opening sermon is exactly what he's referring to here. He's quoting from Isaiah when he says, the spirit of the Lord's on me and he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight for the blind. Does anybody remember the next line? And freedom for the prisoners. John's sitting in a jail cell as Jesus says, now go tell him. These things I predicted are happening, and John's saying, okay, but it's not happening for me. So what is going on with this ambiguous, indirect, action over words thing from Jesus? I think it's important to see this, because Jesus isn't blowing him off. He's not ignoring him. He's not playing coy with him here. What is he doing? I think Jesus is inviting John and us in the dungeon moments of our lives to look for hints and clues of God's work. This is so important. Look for hints and for clues of God's work even before we see the fullness of what God has promised to do. John is stuck on this vision of the fire and the redemption and, and the return from exile, all the stuff we talked about last week. And Jesus says, we're not there yet, John, but, but hear me. There are hints and there are clues. All right, let's do a little, little Bible study here. I hope we've been doing some of that all along. But I, all right, just... If you want to check out for a second, if you don't like getting deep, just go ahead and I'll I'll bring you back in a second. But I want you to get this. I think John and Jesus are wrestling with two different prophetic pictures that Jesus is working out of here. All right, so follow me on this. I think John in this moment is struggling because he wants Jesus to be like Elijah. You want a great Elijah story? It's one of my favorite in the Old Testament. Elijah makes me laugh all the time. It would be cool to be a prophet like him to some degree. Some of it was not fun. But look at 2 Kings chapter 1, and what you find is a king like Herod, who's supposed to be the king of God's people, isn't doing it God's way, and he goes to attack Elijah. Does anybody remember what happens to the story? A captain and 50 men go to get the prophet. Does anybody remember? You can tell me. It's awesome. Anybody remember the story? What happens to him? They to- he gets toasted. I love that. That's great. They come up and they say, man of God, come down. He said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and burns them up. 
in the name of Jesus. Just kidding. <laughs> Second group, captain, another 50 men come up. Man of God, come down. If I'm a man of God, let fire come down. Burns them up. The third time, I love it, they come up and they say, man of God, would you please come with us? And he does. I think John's sitting in that jail cell saying, I came, by the way, two verses before what I just said. It said Elijah was dressed with, cam with hair of an animal and a leather belt around his waist. John was ready for Elijah prophetic time. And Jesus says, I'm not playing Elijah here. In fact, later on in the text, he says, that's your role. What I'm playing in this moment is Isaiah. Oh, there's a lot of deep study here. We don't have time to get into all of it. Go read Isaiah 35. And what you find Isaiah predicting is that when the king of God comes, people who are broken are going to get healed. People who can't walk in every possible way are going to be leaping like a deer. They're going to be walking and running. People who cannot see and cannot hear the voice of God in their life or anything in their life will see it and hear it. And Jesus said, I'm playing that, John, and watch for it. Even though it hasn't fully happened yet and you're waiting for that full refining time, just understand if you watch for it, you're going to see hints and clues of the work I predicted centuries ago to happen. What do you do in dungeon moments when you don't have everything you want? You prayerfully get on your knees and say, God, give me the eyes to see where you are already working so that I can trust that you will take me all the way there and the world all the way there in the end. Does that make sense? Now you can come back if you don't like the deep Bible study. Well, we're still hopefully deep Bible study, but here's the thing. We worship a God of promise and purpose. So watch for it. I've told you so many times, I'll keep saying again, it's perfect for Advent. Where is God headed with all of it? Ephesians 1 verse 10, Colossians 1 verse 20. God promises that in Christ, he's restoring everything, not just you. He's reconciling, verse Ephesians 1, all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. He's fixing everything broken. If that's where God's headed, here's what I encourage you to do as we're preparing for the coming of God that way. Watch for little moments, hints and clues of restoration right here and right now. And I think one of the most important things we can do in an Advent season, two things. First of all, look for it. Secondly, tell somebody. Share with other people. Where you are seeing blindness go away, because it's not just physical. There are things I used to not see and I see now. There are things I wouldn't listen to, I listen to now. There are places in my life I was absolutely crippled and he lets me run. I can tell you I was dead <clears throat> in every way that matters. And God resurrected my life. Isn't that true for a lot of us? Tell your stories, because some people sitting in the dungeon need to be reminded, hold on, is he really the one? Or do we run away to something else? Watch for the action of God. Uh, let's finish with this because Jesus does. He does action, but he also gives him words. <laughs> Once again, it's a Jesus-like thing, though, because he gives him this strange, mystical blessing by the end. Did you guys say that? It's mysterious. It's strange. What does he say at kind of the end of that, that middle portion? He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What? Again, there are times you wish Jesus would just say it straight. I'm coming back. Here's what I'm doing. I am the king. It's all good. But he gives these little mystical, strange, proverbial statements. By the way, can we just think for a moment? Why didn't Jesus just answer him straight and clear? Yes, I'm the king of the Jews. Yes, I'm God's coming king. Yes, I'm him. I know it's he, but let's talk for real. Right? I'm the guy. Why didn't you say that? 
Well, let's think of a couple reasons. First of all, where is John right now? <laughs> In Herod's prison. And Jesus is ready to announce, I am the king of the Jews. When John is in the king of the Jews, human jail right now. Listen, Jesus was ready to die, but even Jesus had a sense of timing about that. So he was ready to die, but he was going to die on God's timetable, not Herod's. So he holds back just a little bit because he wasn't finished all of his work. Yes, the redemptive work on the cross was coming, but he still had a major work that he talks about in the book of John. He says, before the cross, I finished the work he gave me to do. What was that work? Eleven guys. Lost one, 11 guys that were ready to carry it on. He wasn't finished that work yet, so he wasn't ready to die. I think he holds back. But there's a deeper reason, too. Listen, in a world when they're struggling about who's in power and who's in charge, he wanted them to know what this king of the Jews would look like. Hear me, this is so, it's so important. How did Herod play out his power? He dropped bombs on you. He forced you. He said it clear and direct and commanded. And if you didn't like it, you went to jail. Here's what Jesus does. Listen to me. He invites you. He does not force you. So sometimes he will hint and he will give clues to where he's going, but he will not shove it down your throat. He will not force you to follow him. Why do we prepare our hearts for the God who shows up? Because he invites you into the dance. He will not force you and throw you in jail if you don't go there. I love that he is gentle with us. So sometimes he hints and sometimes he mysteriously speaks. Why? So that we keep staying with him on the journey until we choose to be all in. But what do we do with this weird statement? Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. We'll finish up by thinking about this. Well, what does this word mean? The, the Greek word is scandalon. You don't need to know that to go to heaven. But scandalon, we get scandalized from this. But the word literally means to spring a trap. So whether it was one of the makeshift ones back then or the traps that we have today was to trap an animal in some way. And Jesus says, blessed is someone, anyone who doesn't fall into a trap on account of me. What is he talking about? First of all, can't we just say, this is one of the things, many, many things I appreciate about Jesus. He owns the fact that sometimes what makes it hard to follow him is him. Did you know it's okay to say that? It's not just the dungeon moments. It's not just the difficult circumstances of life. Sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus because the way he's working doesn't make sense right now. It's okay. And he said, that's going to happen. And blessed is anybody who doesn't fall into the trap of checking out when I don't make sense. Another way to say this. Jesus is not saying don't ask questions. Don't have difficulties. John had them. Half of the book of Psalms are laments, as I say all the time. It's okay to grieve and struggle and ask questions. This is what Jesus says. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that just because I don't make sense, that I'm not there. Another way to say it, don't fall into the trap of thinking that just because I didn't act the way you expected me to, that that means I'm not acting. Do you hear me? How many times have we done this? We end up in a difficult place in our life and we say, where is God? Here's the answer. He's right there with you. He just didn't act the way you wanted him to in the moment. And Jesus says some people will fall into the trap of saying, forget it. I'm not expecting him to come at all because he didn't come in the way I scripted it out. That's a trap, Jesus says. Don't fall into it. And John didn't. What I love about the larger story of John, you see hints of it here, but you see it by the end of his story. John keeps moving 
forward. He keeps taking one step after another. He gets enough assurance. He said, I'm all in. And he ends up giving his life for the mission of pointing people to the person and to the ways of Jesus. What do you do in the dungeon moments where God doesn't make sense? You ask questions. You struggle with him. But you don't fall into the trap of the questions telling you that, oh, he's not really there. Keep moving forward one step at a time. Whenever I think about this season and this time, I'm drawn to this wonderful John-like Advent character. Her name is Zoe, and she has participated in some New York City marathons from time to time. I want you to think about that, 28.2, is that right? I've run one, I can't remember. Miles, for 28 miles, and she's worked in this. I want you to think about this for perspective's sake, though. Anybody that looked at her time would probably say it wasn't, uh, by most standards, it wasn't that impressive. Let me give you an example of this. I went back and looked and researched. She's, she's done several. The last one that I know she did was in 2013. So I just looked at the stats of this. In 2013, the women, woman's winning time was two hours and 25 minutes. Zoe was a little bit behind that. Uh, Zoe finished the marathon in 29 hours and 45 minutes. In fact, she has the slowest record recorded time in New York City Marathon ever. The reason is because she walked the entire course on crutches with a back brace and with knee braces. Because listen to this, 14 years after she got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, she had a dungeon moment. She had kind of a crisis of faith and life moment. She almost died trying to take a vitamin. She almost choked to death trying to take a vitamin. And she got so frustrated, she said, you know what? I am not going to be a slave to this disease for the rest of my life. And she made a decision to do the most outrageous possible thing she could imagine. And with MS, she's going to go compete in the New York City Marathon. And she's done it 20 Five times. People have interviewed her, reporters, elite athletes of the world, and they all ask her, how in the world do you do this? You know what she said? I just keep walking. One step at a time. I just keep walking. And she said, now my life has become a metaphor for other people, just like the marathon itself is a metaphor of endurance. I would say a metaphor of practicing hope even when things around you seem like they're falling apart. And I think Jesus says that's the point of Advent. That's the point of John's life, not just his message. That yes, there are times when he doesn't make sense to us. So tell him and cry out to him and all of that. But don't fall into the trap of missing the hints and the clues that are telling you he is real and he is here and he is going to finish what he started. So in your lives individually and in the church of Jesus Christ that meets in this place, what are we going to do as we look forward to the king who's going to fix everything one day, right now, today, no matter where we are, we will keep on walking in faith and practicing hope. Father God, that's our prayer. That wherever we find ourselves today, maybe some of us are still in the womb moment of celebrating and cheering Others of us are feeling those dungeon moments of just things crowding in and we don't know what's going on and anywhere in between. 
And I thank you that you are Lord of every moment of our lives, not just the good ones. That you are king of the entire universe and you have everything in your hand and you will finish what you started in Christ. So Father, speak to us now, first of all, to welcome all of those who find themselves in a dungeon and let them know it's okay. This is a safe place just to be. But also, Father, help us to keep walking into that purpose. John's purpose is our purpose. We want to keep pointing people to Jesus. We want to keep pointing people to Jesus. We want to live his life until the day he comes and splits the skies and makes everything right. We pray this in the name of and for the sake of the resurrected Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.